I'd ask you to turn this morning to Psalm 25, the 25th Psalm, please. Psalm 25. And as you turn there, I'd like to add my own words of welcome to all who have joined with us this morning, for those visiting, families, along for the dedication that you welcome the Savior's name and trust the Lord will bless you. And for also those who are watching online, that the Lord will minister to your heart through the Word of God. So Psalm 25, commence reading at verse 1, and we'll read through to verse 10. So let's hear the word of our God. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth, and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation, on thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Amen. We'll end at verse 10, and we trust the Lord will bless his word to our hearts. We're going to still ourselves before the Lord and ask for the Lord to come and bless, even as we meet around his word his truth, and pray that the Lord will speak uh, to your heart even now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank and bless thee for the privilege being ours to assemble together, to come to this meeting house, to meet with thee. We thank thee, Lord, that the book has been opened and read. We thank the Lord that we have placed ourselves now at thy feet, and we pray that thou would speak to us. Lord, we pray that thou would open up our ear, open up our heart and our understanding, Lord, help us to be receptive to what thou would have to say. Lord, I come to thee now, and I come to thee as thy servant, and I give myself afresh to thee. And I pray, O God, that thou would fill me with thy Spirit. I ask, O Father, I ask for the promised Holy Ghost, and by faith I receive. I pray that thou would help me to speak as thou would have me, Lord, to bring the message that thou hast given. I pray for power in the Holy Ghost. We pray, Lord, this will be a very particular word. Lord, not only for the congregation at large, but, Lord, for individuals sitting amongst us. We pray that thou would apply the word effectually to them. May they hear thee speaking through the word. So, Lord, we look to thee, lifting our eyes heavenward. Leave us not to ourselves, for then all would be in vain. But, Lord, we thank thee for thy promised presence and for thy help. And so we go out and go forth in that confidence. For we pray these things in Christ's precious and his worthy name. Amen. Now, as you're aware, we are coming to an election of elders for addition to the Kirk session. And we've been dealing with the matter from the pulpit the last number of Lord's Day mornings. This has been before the congregation for a number of months now. But it's only now we're beginning to preach on the sub- subject more particularly And I suppose with two men preaching on the same subject, you don't want there to be an overlap. But as long as we listen to the promptings of the Lord, 
Well, he will take care of that. The last time I was preaching, the Lord exercised my heart to preach in the call of Moses. And it was my desire that the Lord would deal with men in particular, especially those whom he has chosen. We thought about Moses' encounter, and I encourage you to keep on praying that men would have an encounter with God, that they would meet him in the backside of the desert in their daily devotions. We also considered Moses' excuses. And no one is to be surprised that when you're called to do what God's will, in whatever sphere of life that is, that the flesh, the flesh will throw up all kinds of excuses why you should not do it. Then briefly pointed out Moses' enablement. God had an answer for every one of his excuses. And the chief promise being, certainly, I will be with thee. That's the sort of man we want in office, men who God is with. Now this morning we turn our attention to Psalm 25, a psalm that we sang last week. I thought the Reverend Greer was actually going to dip into it, but he didn't. But we sang it last week and a psalm that has been on my heart for a good number of weeks now. It's evident from the title of this psalm that David, David is the human penman. And in this psalm we see his holy trust, his many conflicts, his great transgressions, his bitter repentance, and his deep distresses. It's a composition of David in his later life because he refers later on to the sins of his youth. And it's from its painful references to the craft and the cruelty of his foes that some have suggested it refers to a period when his own son Absalom was heading a great rebellion against him. The 22 verses of this psalm They begin in the original with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet in their proper order. This is one of seven acrostic psalms, and this method may have been employed by the writer to assist the memory. Now, I'm not suggesting those who are older in life, their memory is a wee bit not as good as someone else, but it's been suggested it was laid out in this manner to aid and to be an aid to the memory. Now, as the content is guided more by poetical, alphabetic arrangement, it's difficult to ascertain an outline. Rather, it just ebbs and flows between the prayers and the meditations of a man after God's own heart. Now, in the psalm, it's obvious that David is seeking primarily two things from his God, deliverance and direction. And it's really the second theme that I want to focus on this morning For we as a congregation and men within this congregation, we need the direction of the Lord. We need the Lord to guide us concerning the election of elders. The case, as always is the case with the people of God, we always need the direction of the Lord. And therefore, the principles and the teachings contained within this psalm, they're not simply restricted to the matters that lie before us in the next couple of weeks, but they apply to all God's people. We can take them, we can benefit from them, and as I said, we can apply them in our own walk with Him. And this morning from these first 10 verses, I want us to consider, wonder us to consider those 10 verses under the heading, a prayer for guidance. Prayer for guidance. The first thing I want to bring to your attention is David's dependence. David's dependence, we notice this in verses 1 to 3. Verse 1, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. 
Now, in the previous psalm, the mark of a good man was one who had not lifted up his soul unto vanity. And there it's put in the negative. Here we have it put in the positive. The godly person, the godly man, is one who lifts up their soul unto the Lord. Now, what does this expression mean, the lifting up of the soul? Well, it's really an expression of prayer. And it's used by David several times in the Psalms. You can think of Psalm 143 in the verse number 8. Take that for example. He says, "'Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift my soul unto thee.'" Matthew Henry said that prayer is the ascent of the soul to God. It's an expression which denotes the heartiness the sincerity of David's prayer, when the heart and the mind are engaged in that prayer, when the heart and the mind are lifted up from the things of this world, going out after God. Now, this is something that's not easy to do, since often we have to cry, My soul cleaveth unto the dust. It's one thing to lift up the voice, but it's another thing to lift up the soul. You see, there's many people in this world, and they lift up their voice in one manner or another when it comes to praying. They go through the motions of saying their prayers, and yet their soul is not lifted up to the Lord. Either they pray to all manner of false deities, or else their soul is not engaged in it. It's simply vain repetition. The individual who is dependent on God is one who lifts up their soul to Him in prayer. It's not simply a formality, but they are pouring out their inmost being unto God. David here in the beginning of his prayer, he opens up himself to God. He lifts up his soul as an offering is lifted up before the altar and sacrifice. That's the imagery that is before us in this phrase. Many an offering in the Old Testament was lifted up before the Lord by the high priest. And this was a way of David expressing to God in his prayer, My all is on the altar. My heart, my soul is laid open and bare before thee. I'm lifting up my soul to you, God. You know, that's how we should always approach God in prayer. When it comes to asking Him for direction, for guidance, nothing is to be held back. Nothing is to be hidden, but everything is to be lifted up to Him as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. The one is, who is dependent places himself entirely without reserve before God. Here's my soul. I'm lifting it up before you. I want to ask you this morning by way of challenge, is your soul lifted up to God or is it lifted up to empty and vain things? Is your heart open to God for Him to do with it as He wills? Or is your heart open to all the vice and all the sin and all the iniquity of this world? You see, if your soul is lifted up to vanity and it remains in that state and you die in that state, well, then your soul will be cast down to eternal misery. So ask yourself this morning, what's your soul lifted up to? What's it open and bare towards, God or this world? He was a man absolutely dependent upon the Lord, and he lifts his soul before God. He puts it on the altar. And the fact that David is said to lift up his soul, it implies here that 
his God, God is above him and over him. Not as a tyrant, but rather as one whom he is in covenant union with, as is indicated by David's use of the personal name of God, Lord Jehovah. Oh, David was the king of Israel. He wasn't trusting in his armies. He wasn't trusting or dependent in his counselors. No, he was one who was trusting in that one who was high above him. He lifted up his soul to the Lord. He made a beeline to his father's throne. Though we can't be certain what trouble he was in, David entrusts the most precious thing that he possesses. That's his soul to his God, and he lifts it up before him in prayer. Spurgeon, he made the comment, see how the holy soul flies to its God like a dove to its coat. And we heard about that analogy the other night in the prayer meeting. David goes on to say in verse 2, O my God, I trust in thee. And here he explicitly states trust in God. You know, many believers today, they often confuse faith and trust. Faith and trust. Now, while they're inseparably linked and there's a connection between them, there's also a distinction. And when we understand this and we live in the truth of that, it will have a tremendous impact upon our Christian walk. Faith is a noun. Faith is a noun. It is something that the child of God has or possesses. It is the substance or the evidence of things hoped for or those things not seen, as we're told in Hebrews 11, verse 1. It is something that is the gift of God, as we're told in Ephesians chapter 2. Faith is a noun. It's something that you and I possess. Faith in God is a confident belief that He is the sovereign Creator and that He can and that He will do what He claims, what He said He will do. But what about trust? What's the difference? Now, trust can be used as a noun. But here, oh my God, I trust it's used as a verb. It's something you do. It's something you act upon. Trust for the believer is a willful choice. It's a deliberate action, and it can only grow out of someone who possesses saving faith. Faith always comes first. Trust in God follows. It was David himself who said, What time I am afraid. Then he made a willful choice, a deliberate action. He said, I will trust in thee. The one way to illustrate the difference between faith and trust is the story of Charles Blondwin and Harry Col Colcourt. Blondin, he was a famous tightrope walker who gained worldwide fame in 1859 as the first one to cross in Niagara Falls. Colcourt was his friend and manager. A cable 1,300 feet long, three inches wide, was secured to a great oak tree on the American side and then to a great rock on the Canadian side. Shortly before 5 p.m. on the 30th of, of June, Blondwin, he got on that tightrope and he started his short walk from the American side. After halfway, he, he broke into a trot and a run and he got across to the Canadian side, took a little rest, and then went back across the tightrope carrying a large camera upon his shoulders. Halfway over, he stopped. 
And he took a picture of the crowd that was watching. And the entire round trip took that man 23 minutes. When he arrived safely back on American soil, he immediately announced a series of, of performances, each more daring than the next. And over the coming weeks, he would go over that tightrope, walking backwards, blindfolded, backflipping on it. One time he stopped in the middle and he cooked an omelet and he dropped it down onto the meat of the midst. That ship that sails around there in the bottom of the Niagara Falls. One day he appeared with a wheelbarrow. And he asked the assembled crowd, Do you believe that I can take this wheelbarrow across on the tightrope? And they all said, Yes said, do you believe that, well, if I put someone in this wheelbarrow, I can wheel them across this tightrope? And they all answered yes. And then he said, well, who will get in the wheelbarrow? None stepped forward. You see, they had faith that he could do it. But none were willing to trust and to act upon it. However, his manager, Colcord, he did. For one day he climbed onto the back of Blondham. Blondham carried him across the Niagara Falls on his back on that tightrope. He acted upon his belief. And that's the difference between faith and trust. The spectators, they had faith in Blondham and believed in his abilities, but only Colcord trusted him enough to climb up onto his back to act upon it. You see, it's good to believe in what is revealed to us about God, but we must trust what and who we believe. We are to live, we are to act upon our faith in Him. Christian, no doubt you believe that God is able to enable you to do His will. But it's another thing to go forward trustingly, that He will enable you to do it. You see, faith is, or sorry, trust is really faith in action. An implementation. We believe that God is able to provide, care for us, protect us, and guide us. Do we trustingly live like that? Or do we place our trust in personal resources and efforts or friends or in things that we think we can control? We believe that God gives the Holy Spirit to them that ask. But Sunday school teacher and, and children's meeting worker, an open-air preacher, an employee going into the factory floor, when you ask for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, go forth as one who trusts God that He has given you the fullness that you have asked of Him. You know, that's not presumption. That's not self-confidence. That is honoring. Honoring the God who promised that He would do it. We believe it. We pray it. Lord, you've said. You give the Holy Spirit to them that asked. Do we live in the trust of that? That as you go into your work, as you go into school, as you go into the place of service, wherever it might be, that you have the fullness of the Holy Ghost. We have every cause to doubt ourselves, but we have no cause to doubt God. The difference between faith Trust, though they are inseparably connected. You see, when we depend upon the Lord and trust in Him in this way, living our lives out in this trust, we shall not be ashamed. As David says in verses 2 and 3, in other words, we will not be let down by our God. He won't let you down. You will find Him to be sufficient. 
you will find that what He has promised, He will be able also to perform. The promises that He has given, which you have believed and acted upon, will give you no cause to blush or be confounded before your enemies. It's those who do not seek the Lord, who do not have saving faith or trust in Him, They are the ones who will be ashamed on that great day. They are the ones who will be confounded when they are confronted by their sins. Is there a brother here and God is calling you to this office? And and you believe, yes, well, if God calls someone, God will help them. You believe that. Brother, if God is calling you, God is dealing with you, you are to trust. You are to trust and go forward in that. For He will do for you what He has said. David's dependence, secondly this morning, David's desire, this we see in verses 4 to 7. And firstly, a desire for guidance. The one who depends upon God will be the one who seeks direction from God. For they know that as for God, His way is perfect. His paths are pleasantness and peace. They will seek God for His guidance. And that's what David does. God leading and God's guidance are paramount at this time in our congregation. Verse 4, David says, Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. David, he first asks that the Lord might show him, that is, show him his, that's God's ways. The Hebrew word translated show, it has the idea to make known to reveal that which was hidden. God's ways, we're told, are higher than our ways. They're higher in in motive. They're higher in nobility. They're higher in wisdom. They're higher in excellency. They're higher in purpose. Therefore, we need to have those ways revealed to us. Moses prayed to God in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 13. Show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. Now, the wonderful thing is that God does make His ways known unto those who trust in Him. This is grace on His part. We can come to God for guidance, for direction, for instruction, and the Lord will make His ways known to us. He's promised that. A few chapters over over in Psalm 32 and verse 8, the Lord says there that I will instruct thee and I will teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. And God is far more willing to guide us than we are to be guided. He wants the best for us. He wants the best for this congregation. Therefore, I urge everyone to lift up this prayer to God. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Albert Barnes, he said of this, Show me thy ways. The prayer of the psalmist is that he might be able to understand the methods of divine government, the principles upon which God bestows happiness and salvation, the rules which he has been pleased to prescribe human conduct, the arrangements by which he confers favors upon mankind. Those are the ways of God, the the principles, the methods, the, the rules, the arrangement. That's the ways of God. Barnes goes on to say the idea evidently is that David might understand so much of this as to regulate his own conduct aright, that he might not lean on his own understanding or trust to his own guidance, but that he might always be under the guidance and direction of God. God makes his ways known. 
through the Scripture. That's where we find His methods, His rules, His principles, His precepts, His commands, and His arrangements. It's there that we find His rules for church government and the quality set forth for those who should be elders. You want to know the ways of God coming up to this election? Well, I urge you to read 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. That's where you'll know the ways of God. God has made these things known to us. We can cry, show me thy ways, O Lord. But if we're not going to read the Word, then we'll not know His ways. Once again, I address those men who are still on that list of eligible individuals for the office of ruling elder. You call out to God, show me thy ways. Cause me to know the way wherein I shall walk. And I am convinced the Lord will do that for you. Convinced. And those who are still on the list, if God has not been showing you, if He's not been teaching you, if He's not been leading you, that speaks volumes. And if there's absolutely no desire in your heart to cry to God, show me thy ways concerning this, that speaks volumes as well. God will lead His people. God will lead the brethren. David's desire for guidance, it's further expressed by a Hebrew parallelism. He goes on to say, not only show me thy ways, but he says, teach me thy paths. That's not simply a repetition. David wants the revelation of God, yes. Yet, he wants, he wants instruction from God on how to walk the way that God has made known. David here demonstrates his teachableness. Here's a man with humility. He prayed in Psalm 143 in the verse 10. He prayed there, Teach me thy way, O Lord. Or sorry, teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. He not only wanted to be taught the will of God, but he wanted to be taught how to do the will of God. He didn't ask, Lord, show me your ways, and then, you know what, I'll decide whether I want to do it or not. No, he said, show me, teach me, then lead me. Go before me and lead me like a shepherd leads his sheep. Verse 5, and that's what he goes on to say, Lead me in thy truth, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. God leads according to his word, which is truth. And as there we hear his still small voice. John 10 verse 4, it paints that wonderful picture for us. He goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. This petition of leading, it's often lifted up by the psalmist, and for good reason. Over a few chapters, chapter 27, we sang it this morning. Chapter 27 and the verse 11, he says, Teach me thy way, O Lord. Lead me in a plain path. There's a prayer for leading. Because of mine enemies. Need the Lord to lead us. And the men in this election in a plain path. Why? Because of our enemies. It's at this time the old enemy would seek to come in and unsettle a work. He would love to do that. We need to be led according to truth. Not according to our intuition. Not according to our personal friendships. Not according to our personal preferences, not according to any particular political persuasion, but according to His truth. 
That's how we'll be led. David was waiting continually on God, the God of his salvation, the one who is his deliverer, the preserver from his enemies for this guidance. As we see, he says, on thee do I wait all the day. This was something that was continually in his mind. I know for the brethren, those who are being dealt with by God, this will be always on your mind. You'll always be crying out to God, show me, teach me, lead me. Whether at work, whether at home, whether walking by the way, that's what it'll be. The consuming desire to have the guidance of God alone in this matter. He had a desire for guidance. I must move so swiftly, briefly, and also desire for reassurance. Reassurance. That's how I view the next part of his prayer in verse 6. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Here he has desire for God's continued grace, that the Lord would deal with him in the present and the future in the same manner as he has dealt with him in the past. That's why he calls on God to remember his tender mercies and his loving kindnesses. Not that God has forgotten to be gracious or merciful, but in times of trial... And the stress it can seem that way. Don't forget, David was in some trouble. And he desired that once again he would have the conscious sense of those abiding and unchanging graces from the Lord, the mercies and the loving kindnesses of his God, that he would have the conscious sense of them reassuring his soul that this is the way that the Lord would have him to go. We often need that reassurance, don't we? That the Lord has not forgotten to be gracious. That's what I believe David wanted here, to feel the loving embrace of his God as he's going through this. While he calls on God to remember in verse 6, he calls on God not to remember in verse 7. Remember not the sins of my youth. Nor my transgressions, according to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. David was sensitive to his own sinfulness. The sins and transgressions of his previous day, they still caused him to mourn. He was ever penitent, this man. How often the old accuser brings our sins before us. Though David had not forgotten them and was continually sorry for them, God had, God had, and God had cast them behind his back. As a man once said, sins remembered in repentance are sins forgotten in remission. David needed the reassurance once again that this was the case, that all his sins were under the blood. Word again to the brethren whom God is dealing with. Don't be surprised if the devil or your own memory brings before you the sins of the past, yet don't forget that Christ has dealt with them and are under the blood. God's people often need this reassurance. And it was read this morning there in Isaiah chapter 43, 25 that our sins and our iniquities he will remember no more. David's dependence, David's desire, finally, quickly, David's declaration. David moves from supplication to contemplation, from prayer 
to a confident declaration of what God will do. Verse 8, Psalm 25, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore He will teach sinners in the way. And the psalmist here, he binds together in one thought two aspects of the divine nature that people find hard to reconcile. Really, the love of God and the righteousness of God. Good and upright. But God is good and upright, and because of that, He will lead us and He will guide us aright. That's good to know. The Lord will guide us. Because he is good and he is upright. David goes on to declare in verse 9, The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. Meekness is a condition to be met if an individual is to know guidance from God. A proud person who thinks they already know enough, they cannot be taught. But a humble and a person with a gentle spirit, God will guide in judgment. Now this is not speaking about the administration of justice when it says here guiding and judgment, but rather it's speaking about God leading him in the way of duty and in the, in the right way of life, all of which requires the exercise of wise judgment so that good decisions might be made. A person who goes to God in humble prayer with a proper sense of their dependence upon Him they may trust that God will lead them in the way that they are to go. This congregation needs meek men, humble men, and eldership, for those are the ones whom God will guide in judgment. Those are the ones whom God will enable to make good decisions, wise decisions for the benefit of your soul. This session is no place for men who have think they have no need to be taught. Then verse 10, as we close, All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep His covenant and His testimonies. Now this is not so much the paths that we have to walk, though they are good and gracious, right and true, but this is speaking of the ways in which God walks. In other words, the way that God deals with His people. He deals with them in mercy and in truth. He deals with those who keep His covenant, His testimonies. He deals with His people, those who are His friends, those who are in union with Jesus Christ, because it's only in Him that we have kept His covenant and His testimonies. God will deal with such individuals in mercy. He will not deal with you roughly or harshly, but He will gently lead you along. That's what it means that He will deal with you in mercy. And He'll also deal with you in truth, brother. He will not mock you. He will not deceive you in His leading. He will deal with you in truth. He will not tell you one thing, and it will not turn out to be another. He will be truthful. He will be honest with you. Here we have the prayers and the meditation of a man who was seeking direction from the Lord at a particular juncture in his life. He was a man who wholly leaned upon his God. He believed God and he demonstrated that in his life of trust. He had a desire for God's guidance and God's reassurance. And he made a confident declaration of what God would do 
And I trust that God will lead us, that God would guide us, that we who are continually praying, show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths, lead me in thy truth, that that will be the prayer ascending from our hearts. And we can be confident like David, because our God is good, and our God is upright, and he will teach us in the way. Though we are sinners, yes, Saved by grace, sinners with all our inability, with all our ignorance, with all our faults and our failures, yet because our God is good and our God is upright, He will lead us in the way. And that's what we want. And that's what you should want. And I say again, if there is absolutely no desire in your heart, brother, to cry to God concerning this matter, show me thy ways, Teach me thy path. Lead me in thy truth. It speaks volumes. And you should consider that as you walk past the list on the way out. God will lead. God does guide. He has promised that he will do that. May the Lord guide us and lead us in a plain path because of our enemies. Let's bow for prayer. And let's look to the Lord to bless His Word. Heavenly Father, we bow before Thee. We thank Thee for Thy truth. We thank Thee for this prayer. The psalmist who many times called upon Thee for direction, for guidance, for reassurance. We thank the Lord that He not only had faith, but he trusted. He was active in that faith in his life. Lord, what a challenge that is. We believe your promises. We believe who you are. And yet, Lord, to live them out, it's a totally different thing. Lord, why should we doubt thee? Why should we ever doubt a God who is true in all his ways are ways of truth and without iniquity. Oh God, I pray for brethren, brethren who are and have been lifting up this prayer continually before Thee, that, Lord, that Thou would guide them and direct them. We pray for us as Thy people who pray, O oh God, the same prayer continually. Lord, as we lift the Word, Lord, we thank Thee that Thy truths, Thy principles, Thy precepts, Thy rules, Thy arrangements Lord, all these things are found there. Lord, when it comes to the 28th, that truly your will will be known and brought to pass in that meeting. Oh Lord, we thank thee that these principles apply to all God's children. Times in their lives when they need direction. And truly we, are, we do, Lord. We live in a, a world where there's so many voices. And we cannot lean to our own understanding. Lord, we want to acknowledge Thee. And we know that Thou wilt direct our paths. So, Lord, bless the Word. We pray, O Father, that Thou would now part us with Thy blessing. We pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit will be the portion of Thy people both now and forevermore. And in Thy will, bring us again to the house of the Lord. Bring thy people and assemble them before thee. 
Bless thy servant as he preaches the glorious gospel of Christ. And may, Lord, we see the mighty hand of our God made bare. Do us good, Lord, and take us from this house rejoicing in the word that we have heard. For we pray this all in Christ's precious and worthy name. Amen.